0: Well, Autumn and I, we have two sons, Joe, who's 23, and Nathan, who is 20. And just a couple of weeks ago, our son Joe got married. So now um, we have our first daughter, which is so awesome because Kiara is awesome. And all of our kids, they actually live in the city of Detroit. And so a couple of months ago, I was at home, and I get a call from Nathan, and Nathan says, Hey, Dad, uh, my car died. And I said, okay, so where are you? And he was on Library Street, which is just off of Woodward, a side street off of Woodward, kind of by Cadillac Center. And so um, I said, hang on, and I'll be there in 30 minutes. So I jump in my truck. I head downtown. And, of course, by the time I get there, Nathan's got his car, you know, pulled safely off to the side of the road. It's in a parallel parking spot. And so I park my truck, and I, I go over, and I go to his car, and I pop the hood, and I start looking around in the engine compartment. And I might as well have been looking in the glove box because I don't know anything about cars. I don't know anything about car engines. And so I closed the hood. I took out my phone, and I called AAA. And in that moment, I was reminded of something that most of us have learned somewhere along the way, which is simply this, that it's impossible. It's actually impossible to solve a problem when you don't know what's wrong to begin with. It's impossible, and all of us have actually tried to do this. Now, Many of us have actually been trying to solve us for a long time. Many of you have actually spent a lot of time and a lot of money trying to solve you. And you have a theory as to what's wrong with you, but you haven't quite figured it out, right? It's not like you haven't tried, but you just can't seem to figure out what exactly is wrong with you. And so solving you is kind of a big deal, right? Because some of you, some of you have actually lost jobs because there's a problem with you. Some of you have lost relationships. Some of you have lost a lot of time. You've lost a lot of money. Some of you have lost self-esteem. Some of you have lost reputation because there's a problem with you, and you just can't quite seem to fix you. And so maybe, right, maybe, maybe the problem is you don't actually know what the problem is. Now, again, you have a theory, Right? But you know this also, right? Just simply having a solution, right, knowing what the problem is is not the same thing as having a solution to that problem. In fact, if you're trying to solve a problem and the solution that you have really isn't the solution that you need, you're not going to get any place. And see, this whole dilemma is really what's at the center Uh, of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus who are living in the city of Rome. And so what we're going to do today as we begin this brand new series together is we're going to look throughout the course of this series at the Apostle Paul's explanation to a problem that every single one of us face as well as the solution that he explains to us and that he illustrates to us based on his teaching as found all throughout the New Testament. Now some of you might not actually like his diagnosis of you. In fact, for some of you, um, you, you might think after you hear this for a couple of weeks, you might think, okay, that sounds exactly what I would expect somebody in, in the church to say, and that's okay. Right? You, you don't necessarily have to agree, um, but again, you have a theory, right? You have a theory. You have an idea what's wrong with you, and so I would just say if you haven't made a whole lot of progress in solving you, then perhaps, right, perhaps you should be open to a different diagnosis, And so if you're somebody who would say that you've had a hard time, I've had a hard time fixing me, right, if you would admit that, if you would acknowledge that, then hopefully, maybe, maybe, maybe the situation is you don't actually know what the problem is. And so today, uh, as we begin this brand new series together, we're going to be working through uh, the book of Romans. And if you've ever tried to read the book of Romans before, then you know um, this is not the easiest book in the Bible to actually read. But it is um, the book that contains one of the fullest explanations of the gospel. And so if you get a little confused somewhere along the way, um, that's my fault right? That, that's my fault. That's, that's my fault. That's actually not your fault. That's my fault, right? If the, if the student hasn't learned, it's because the teacher hasn't taught. And so if you get a little confused, I'll, I'll take full responsibility for that. But if you'll just kind of stick with me, and then at the end today, in particular, we'll kind of circle back around. And hopefully all of us will leave this morning with a, a better and a more, a, a more complete understanding of the significance of the gospel. Now, if you're with us here for the first time or one of your first few times this weekend, if you're watching with us online, and especially um, if you're someone who would say, um, I, I'm not really sure I would call myself a follower of Jesus, or, or maybe you think of yourself that way, but you ha- you're a little skeptical about church and you're definitely a little skeptical about what the Bible says, um, I, I just want to ask you to listen to how the Apostle Paul himself describes this problem that he experienced in his own life before he discovered the solution that we're going to talk about and what that solution ultimately means for what the real problem is. And while I understand you may not necessarily agree with his assessment, I'm willing to bet that all of us, right, all of us can relate to his experience. The Apostle Paul begins by saying this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do not do what I want to do, then I agree with the law that the law... Is good. Now, this could actually be any law here. The Apostle Paul is not referring to, to, the, to the law in the Bible at this point. This could be the law of society. It could be your own internal, personal law. Um, it could be your own uh, beliefs of what you should and should not do. You might be religious. You may not be religious. Um, but the Apostle Paul says for all of us, there's actually something inside of us that tells us what we should or should not do. And, and here's the strange thing about you. Here's what I know about you, even though I don't know many of you. In fact, there's some of you I've, I've never actually spoken to before, but this is what I know about you, and so don't, um, don't let me offend you. Right? You don't even do. You don't even do consistently what you know you ought to do. It's almost like there's two of you. right? There's like the here's what I ought to do, you, because if I did these things, I'd actually be a better father, I'd be a better husband, I'd be a better person, I'd be a better friend, I'd be healthier, I'd be happier, things would just be better for me. But then there's like a whole other you that just goes out and constantly does all the things that you know you ought not do. So why is this? I mean, hopefully you thought about this, right? Hopefully you have some sort of an explanation or an idea or at least a theory about this. The Apostle Paul continues and he says this, For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now again, you may not be a follower of Jesus, you may not think the Bible is relevant anymore in our world, but I'm willing to bet every single one of us can agree with this. Right. In fact, you may be sitting here today or watching today and thinking to yourself, okay, this is the first thing. This is the first thing I've ever heard or read in the Bible that I completely agree with. This is one of the reasons why I'm telling you, you should listen to what the Apostle Paul says the solution to this is. And so here's the question. I mean, why don't we just do, right? Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? I mean, think about this. Imagine how church, great church would be. Right, You'd come to church each week and you get to sing some amazing songs, some powerful songs, and the sermons they would just be like, so short. Because like I'd just get up here and, and look at you and say, "Stop, start, don't always." And you'd be like, "Got it, right? See you next week." I mean, do you really need do you really need me or anybody else telling you what to do? Do you really need another diet book? I mean, do you really need someone to tell you um, you you shouldn't be looking at that stuff because it's going to pollute your mind? It's going to pollute your heart. It's going to destroy your relationship with your wife. It's going to destroy your relationship with with your kids. It's going to destroy your relationship with your husband. I mean, do you really need someone to tell you that? Do you really need someone to tell you that later is longer? I mean, do we really need any more advice? See, the problem, right, the problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we just do not know how to do it, right? Why is it that you can train your dog, but you can't train you, right? I'm poking a little bit. I'll stop. Now, even if you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, some of what we're going to talk about together over these next several weeks is going to be new for you. And one of the reasons it's going to be new for you is because it's complicated. And part of the reason why it's complicated is because the Apostle Paul, he actually dictated this whole letter. He didn't write it out. And he didn't have copy and paste. And he didn't have delete and backspace. And he didn't have any of those things. And the Apostle Paul takes all kinds of rabbit trails all over the place. And the guy who's writing this down is just trying to keep up. And so today, as we begin this brand new series together, we're going to jump right into the thick of it. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, right, he's talking about that experience of I know what I ought to do, I just can't seem to do what I should do. It's like there's something inside of me, a power that comes over me. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's what he's saying. Think about this for a minute. Very few of us would probably describe ourselves as ungodly, right? We would say, no, I'm just not perfect, right? I am not perfect. I am imperfect. That's what we would say is I am imperfect. We'll change the prefix here to un, right? I am unperfect. God is perfect and I am unperfect. I am unlike God. I am ungodly. That's all the Apostle Paul is saying. He, he's not saying that you're like the worst person in the world because you're ungodly. He's just saying, no, you're not perfect, so you're not like God. You are ungodly. But Jesus, he says, I mean, think about this, he says, but Jesus, the perfect Son of God, actually dying. For ungodly sinners? That's a little strange, don't you think? And the Apostle Paul would say, well, yeah, I mean, think about it. Very rarely, right? Very rarely, he says, will anyone even die for a righteous person, right? It's hard. It would be hard to actually give up your life for somebody else. Although for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Every once in a while you do do hear stories about things like this. But God, he says, but God demonstrates his own love, which is why it's different than our love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, chances are, if you've been around church or grown up in church, if you've been to church for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse before. And so, um, because it's so familiar, it's easy to actually have it lose some of its significance. And so, uh, I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, imagine this, right? 2,000 years ago, when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, there's still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are running around and who are alive when Jesus was crucified. And so this is the implication of what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, well, when Jesus was being um, nailed to a cross, right, just outside the city of Jerusalem, me and my buddies, we were on the other side of town and we were sending our brains out. And while we were over there sending our brains out, in that very moment Jesus was dying for for our sins, the sins of us ungodly sinners. I mean, who would actually do that? I mean, who would actually die for the sins of another person in the moment that person is sinning with complete disregard of the sacrifice that's actually being made? I mean, who would do that? And Paul says, that's why God's love is just unlike. It's a different kind of love. Which means that for us, 2,000 years later, that Jesus died for the sins that you've committed in your past. Jesus died for the sins that, that you're going to commit today, I don't know after church later on this evening, I, I don't know. And Jesus actually died for the sins that you will commit all throughout your future. I mean, who would actually, who would actually do that? And then the Apostle Paul begins to change directions on us a little bit because he realizes, he remembers that the people who are ultimately going to receive this letter or hear this letter read, they don't even really know what this word actually means. And so the Apostle Paul takes us into some of the deepest, some of the most significant, and some of the most complex teaching anywhere in the New Testament. And so here we go. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the, the one man, right, and, and de- wherever sin goes, death is attached with it, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Right? This is so important what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, I know that when you think about sin, you always think of sin as a verb. I want you to think about it as a noun. I want you to think about it as an entity, as a power, as a disease, as a thing. Because at some point in time, once upon a time, a long time ago, the Apostle Paul would say, there was a time actually before sin was in the world. And then at one specific moment in time, this thing, this entity, this power called sin, it actually came into our world. How? It came through one man. It came through one man. And death, because death is attached to sin, Paul would say, death actually came with it. And see, if you've ever struggled with an addiction, if you've ever struggled with a really bad habit, then you actually understand this because you've seen death follow sin. Because you've killed a relationship. You killed your finances, perhaps. You killed a career, perhaps. The ultimate proof that I am imperfect, that I am unperfect, that I am unlike God is that I am subject to death. That is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's how we know. Right? That's how we all know. And in this way, he says, in this way, death came to all people because all people sinned. To which we hear that and what we think is, okay, Paul, so what you're saying is that death came to me because eventually in my life uh, I would sin. And the Apostle Paul says no. No, that is not at all what I'm saying. He, he, that, that is the exact opposite of what he's saying. He's saying this, he's saying, listen, once upon a time, a long time ago, there was just one person. There was just one human being, and, and we call this human being, we call him Adam. And, and because he was the first person, when Adam sinned, right, there was, uh, sin contaminated Adam. And so whatever, and because Adam was the first person, there's a sense that all of us, right, all of us, because we're in Adam, that all of us sinned. And whatever contaminated Adam is, in fact, what contaminated Adam. Us that when sin contaminated him, that you and I we were contaminated by sin. That everybody sinned because everybody was in Adam, right? So, so, so this is me, right? This is me right here. I, I was born in sin, right? Uh, my, my boys, right? They would tell you um, they they were they were born in sin, right? They would say that. Um, this is this is my this is my adorable wife, Autumn, right? She was born in sin. All of us, we were all born in sin. Right, my grandkids that I don't have yet, right, that I hope to have someday, right, they will be born in sin. Lots of grandkids, no pressure on anybody. Lots of grandkids, right? Um, they will be born in sin, right? All of us, every single person, you, right, your family, your mom, right, your mom even, your mom was actually born in sin. Everybody was in Adam, and so because everybody was in Adam, everybody was contaminated by the sin that was in Adam. Nobody escapes. That when Adam was contaminated by sin, everybody who was in Adam would also be contaminated by sin. Which means your problem, the problem, our problem is not what you are doing. It's who you are related to. To which you say that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. Some of you have experienced some absolutely horrific Absolutely horrific events and circumstances and tragedies in the course of your life. Many of those things you didn't have anything to do with. They just happened to you. They were not fair. Does that mean they didn't happen? No. No. They absolutely were not fair, but they were still true. It may not be fair, but it's still true. All of us, when we were in Adam, and so when Adam sinned, sin contaminated all of us. Every single human being eventually realizes, all of us realize, it's as if there is this power that's living inside of me that I cannot seem to control. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says this, he says, but the gift, but the gift is not like the trespass. Now, He hasn't spoken about a gift yet, and so this can be a little bit confusing, and so heads up, right? He's about to tell us and he's about to explain to us that the gift is, in fact, a right standing with God. That the gift is God thinking about you and relating to you and connecting with you as if, just as if you had never sinned. That's the gift that he's about to tell us. It's a gift that comes from God. It's a gift that God gives to you. It's something that God does for you. And so, then what's this? Well, that is what Adam did. That's the thing that contaminated all of us. That's the thing by which death was attached. That's how death spread to all of us. It's what Adam did. It's what contaminated all of humanity. The gift, the Apostle Paul says, the gift is that when you believe in or when you receive Jesus as your Savior... He says that is completely different. That gift is completely different than the trespass. He says, for if the many died by the trespasses of the one man, right, that's Adam, how much more, right, think about this, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Right, just like he's saying, listen, just like all of us were in Adam, just like all of us are born in Adam, when you receive Jesus, when you believe in Jesus as Savior, your heavenly Father takes you out of Adam and places you into Jesus. He moves you from one kingdom into a brand new kingdom. And Paul is saying that the difference between these two things is so powerful. Because after all, I mean, if just a mere man, Right, if a mere man polluted the entire gene pool, think about this, Paul would say. Imagine what God as a man could do. See, many of us, when we first heard about Jesus or growing up hearing about Jesus, we naturally just think, well, okay, Jesus is about one day, someday um, when I die. And the apostle Paul would say, sure, but that's That's actually not what we're talking about. Nowhere in this discussion does the Apostle Paul bring up heaven or hell or eternity or eternal life. No, the Apostle Paul says this discussion. This discussion is actually aimed at people who are living in this world right now and who are asking the question why can I not do what I ought to do? Why is it that there's like some kind of power that comes over me and I know I'm going to have regrets and I know I'm going to hurt people and I know I'm going to wish that I hadn't done it but I still do it anyway. Is there some way Way to escape all of that and the apostle Paul says okay just just hang with me right hang with me he says he says because listen that whole experience and feeling that we all know it's all a result of being born here in this kingdom And he says the gift, the gift of a right standing with God is in fact far, far more powerful than the power of sin that we experience in this place. That this gift is far more powerful than that. Because what this kingdom did resulted in one thing. What Adam did resulted in one thing in one kingdom. What Jesus does results in something completely different. In a brand new kingdom. He says the judgment, the judgment that brought That followed one sin, it brought condemnation. The gift, however, the gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. Which, if you grew up in church, you're saying, okay, so that means we get to go, go to heaven one day when we die. Well, again, the Apostle Paul would say, sure, but that's not the point. This is about the experience of living in this world now and what can become true of you in the future, what will become true of you in the future, what your heavenly Father has done for you, offering to move you from an old kingdom into a brand new kingdom. For, he says, for if... By the trespass of the one man, death reigned, right? Death reigned through Adam because sin and death are always connected. Death reigned through that one man, Adam, right? How much more, he says, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign? Where? In life. Not in eternity, one day, someday, not in eternal life. No, reign in life, in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And see, Paul says, listen, you can actually have, you can actually reign. There can can be victory over the power of sin in this world. The power that sin seems to have to overpower you. And the Greek word here that we translate as the word "rain," um, this is not a past tense word. right? This is, a, this is a present tense word. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, um, th- it's a word describing an ongoing battle. An ongoing battle that is in fact possible to win. He's saying this, when you receive the grace that your heavenly father offers, when you receive his strength, when you receive his forgiveness and you keep on receiving that day after day after day until one day you see him face to face. It's what the Apostle Paul in a couple of weeks is going to refer to as as living life in the spirit. Or living life by the power of the spirit. Which is kind of up there, I get it. So let's try to bring this back down here and make it a little bit more tangible and practical as as we wrap up together today. One of the things that we believe as followers of Jesus is that peace with God... Right? Peace with God, it actually paves the way to peace with ourselves and peace with God equips us to then make peace with other people. Right? When you come to, to grips with the fact that your heavenly father has forgiven you, you realize that you have lost the right to not forgive yourself. When you come to understand that your Heavenly Father who created you no longer counts your sins against you, you, lose, you re- realize that you have also lost the right to count your own sins against you. And you find the freedom, you find the freedom of being able to interact with other people apart from their sin as well. And so this whole idea, this whole idea of having peace with God is, in fact, a big, big idea. Ultimately, it's going to impact not just you, but it's going to impact how you treat other people and how you experience and how you interact in relationships throughout the course of, of your life, right? And so when I say peace with God, the assumption here is that there is, um, there is some kind of a conflict with God, right? If there's if you're going to have something to make peace about, then obviously um, there, was, there was something that you actually had to make peace about. There was a conflict. There was a, a trespass. And with that trespass came death. And see, this is why when Jesus was trying to explain all this to the people in his culture, um, he, he would say to Nicodemus, he says, don't be surprised that you need to be born again. Right? And Nicodemus is like, okay, How? How? What Jesus is saying is, listen, the only way for you to have a rebirth experience, the only way for you to to move from your old kingdom of sin and death, it's to be reborn. You have to be reborn. You have to have a a, a new passport. You need a new um, birth certificate. You have to be reborn into the kingdom uh, of God. It's not about something that you do. It's actually your heavenly father. He picks you up and moves you. He rebirths you. He rebirths you into a brand new kingdom because, listen, Paul would say, there is nothing that you did to get yourself into this kingdom. And so there is nothing that you're going to do to get yourself out of this kingdom and get yourself into a new kingdom. Right? You didn't do anything that put you into the kingdom of sin and death. You were contaminated. There's nothing you're going to do to take yourself out and put yourself into a new kingdom. Your heavenly father, he does that for you. That is the gift of righteousness. You didn't behave your way into one kingdom. You're not going to behave your way into another. The apostle Paul says it this way. He says, therefore... Right? Therefore, since we have been justified, right, God has declared you just. Right, He says you're you're just now just. You are just. Therefore, since we have been declared justified through faith, right, we have peace with God. How did I get peace with God? Through my really good works. Right, that's how you got peace with God. Right, because you tried really hard. Because you made a promise. Because you made a commitment. No, the Apostle Paul says, listen, I don't even know these people I'm writing this letter to. How could I ever say something like that? I've never met them. I'm never going to meet them. No, the way that we have peace with God, it's through our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? The first step towards peace with God. The first step to having peace with God is being Reborn. It's having your heavenly father move you out of an old kingdom of sin and death and rebirth you into the kingdom of his son, into the kingdom of grace. That's where it begins. Peace with God, it actually begins with faith in Jesus. It begins with faith in Christ. Just as God is the only one who can declare you to be righteous, right? just as God is the only one who can give a new birth, God is also the only one who can change the desires of your heart. How do you stop doing what you don't want to do and start doing what you do want to do? You speak to your heavenly father. You confess to your heavenly father. You ask him to change your heart. You ask him to do what only you can do. He doesn't want you trying harder and just condemning yourself over and over again. No, he wants you to talk to him about where you're stuck and you ask him to move you, to change your heart and make something new, true of you. When a, when a father is teaching a, a toddler to walk, right, and that toddler falls, does a good father get mad at the child because the, the toddler fell down? No. No, a good father actually picks up the child, stands them up, cheers them on, and tells them and helps them to take their next step. Jesus said, whenever you think about God, think perfect heavenly father. Perfect heavenly father. That's what he does. He picks you up. He cheers you on. And he helps you take that next step. Jesus said it this way. He says, everyone who sins on our own without Jesus, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a daughter, they belong to it forever. And so, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so, here's the question for you as we wrap up today Have you made peace with God? And if you're a follower of Jesus, are you at peace with God? Have you made peace with God? And if you're already a follower of Jesus, are you at peace with God? And if not, what's stopping you from making peace with your heavenly Father today? And if you are a follower of Jesus, what in the world is worth What in the world is worth trading your peace with your heavenly father? Peace that will ultimately impact how you view yourself. And which will ultimately impact how you interact and view all the people in your life. What could possibly be worth that?